Straight from Music City, Don't Judge a Book by Its Cover, a podcast for future-ready librarians. This podcast, called Don't Judge a Book by Its Cover, a podcast for future-ready librarians, focuses on changing the perception of school librarians, improving instructional practices, being a collaborative partner, and essentially just great library talk. I'm Stephanie Hamm, the Director of Library Services for Metro Nashville Public Schools, and I will be your host today. As librarians, I think it is important for us to stay up to date on social issues, regardless of politics. Our students and patrons come from a variety of backgrounds, and we need to ensure that we have the resources available to support them. This could be through books, databases, guest speakers, or programs. So I wanted to share two things that have been on my mind lately. First, I recently finished the novel Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, and it may sound familiar because it's coming out in theaters in December. I personally read the YA edition, but there is an adult version as well. It is a true story of Brian Stevenson, a young lawyer that founded the Equal Justice Initiative that defends incarcerated inmates that are in need, specifically those that are poor, wrongly condemned, and those with mental illness. I'm not gonna lie, it was an intense read, but it gives readers a close look at the justice system and it made me reflect on how this can affect our students, specifically those going through the justice system and those that may have a parent that's incarcerated. The second, which I just finished last night, is a docu-series on Netflix called Living Undocumented. This series follows six families or individuals as they share their story of arriving in the United States and the obstacles they face in working to become legal citizens. This series isn't something that you binge watch, but again, I just kept reflecting on how some of our students go through this fear on a daily basis. As librarians, we need to provide those resources to support families and students through transitions and coping with trauma, regardless of our personal views. I encourage each of you to either read or watch both of these, which they are linked in the notes of this podcast. So we're going to switch gears a little bit to today's episode. Since it's Teentober, which was formerly Teen Read Week and Teen Tech Week, we are excited to share our conversation with Nashville-based YA author Sheba Kareem. Sheba Kareem is a writer-in-residence at Vanderbilt University and the author of three novels, Skunk Girl, That Thing We Call a Heart, Mariam Sherma Hits the Road. Mariam Sherma Hits the Road was named Best Book of 2018 by NPR, and That Thing We Called a Heart was named Best Contemporary Teen Read in 2017 by Kirkus Reviews, and Amelia Bloomer, Best Feminist Book for Young Readers by the American Library Association, and Bank Street Best Book of the Year. She received her MFA from the Iowa Writers' Workshop, and her fourth novel is forthcoming from HarperCollins in 2020 which she'll talk about in this episode. The Library Services Department connected with Sheba last year when Mariam Sherma was selected to be one of our Battle of the Books books. We invited Sheba to speak to our students and we're just so impressed with her story and sharing how history shapes so much of our lives. In our discussion today, we focus on her path as a writer, the call for diversity in the publishing industry, and how we as humans are meant to hear stories. So, without further delay, enjoy this episode of Don't Judge a Book 
by its cover. Welcome back, everybody. I am so excited for to have a very special guest today. Sheba, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. So, Sheba, we're going to go ahead and hop right into the questions. So the first one is just can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Um, sure. I, I'm a writer. Um, I grew up in a small town in upstate New York called Catskill. That's in the Catskills. And um, my first YA novel, Skunk Girl, is actually set in a town that's very similar to the town I grew up in. Um, and then I spent I spent my adult life post-college living in New York and New Delhi. And then I've been in Nashville for the past six years. Now, did you get your undergrad in New York? Uh, my undergrad in Philadelphia. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you're an East Coast person. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm a Yankee. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I will tell you, I am obsessed with the Catskills because I watched The Marvelous Miss Maisel. Have you uh, watched it at all? I've seen some of okay, it. Okay. Yeah. And they have like a summer they spend mm-hmm. in the Catskills. And now uh, I, I don't know yeah. if it's still the uh, what its heyday it was in the 50s. but I, They definitely still have the resort, mm-hmm. some of them. So yeah, you should go visit. This is a hard question for everyone. And I would imagine for an author, mm. it's pretty tough. But do you have a favorite book? So one of my favorite, well, it's hard to say favorite, but one of my favorite books I've read as an adult is A Fine Balance by Rohinton Mystery, um, which is a book set in India. And one of my favorite books just generally um, from when I was a teenager is Jane Eyre, and Mm -hmm. it's just always going to be a favorite. Have you read any of the newer ones that have been written with the same storyline, but just a modern twist I, on them? No, I haven't. <laughs> I, when it comes to Jane Eyre, I'm a bit of a, I, I think I'm more open to Austin adaptions mm-hmm. with Jane Eyre. I'm such a purist that I, I can't even go there. <laughs> well, sometimes it's better, like, just to stay away if you love it um, so much. Kind of the same thing, like, books being made into movies. If you love the book so much, a lot of times I will stay away from uh, the movie. Yeah. I'm, I'm worried it will ruin in my head what this picture um, I have, but I always like to put the um, it out there, except The Devil Wears product, because I, <laughs> I loved that movie so much. But that's Meryl Streep, so like, how can you go wrong? I would love to know what a normal morning is like for you. <laughs> um, so it, it depends. I also I teach at Vanderbilt um, fiction writing. So if it's a day, so half the week I'm on campus. So if it's one of those mornings, then I'm rushing to get usually one of two children to school <laughs> and then I'm on campus in my office all day prepping for class meeting with students um, teaching and if it's a day that I don't have to go to campus then same thing get the kids to school and then I I, I write hope like ideally all day until it's time to pick my kids up you know school. I didn't put this on here but um I know we've talked briefly about it you mostly write at home correct mm-hmm. okay yeah I have I have a, a office at home that with a window that faces the streets. <laughs> um, but And once in a while, I will go to a cafe and work for a few hours for a change of scenery. But I have my, my writing base, home base, is my is my home office. Do you have a favorite cafe in Nashville? No, I mean, I, I'd go to Fido occasionally because it's walking distance. Mm-hmm. But you have to time it because it can get quite loud yeah. and, and very busy. So I try to go. If, if it's off hours, I, I'll do Fido. I like Frothy Monkey on 51st in the nation mm-hmm. because it's it's very, it's enormous. So you always find a seat and it's pretty quiet. Yes. I love Frothy Monkey as well. We go to the one at the nation's. Well, we'll pull up and if the line's out the door, then we go someplace yeah. else. But, but we do love that one as well. We have similar cafe taste. <laughs> Just hearing you speak and 
having some of your writing and then you actually talked about your first book. You reference your childhood frequently when you you speak. How's that impacted your journey as a writer or author, I guess I should say? Um, well, you know, they call our childhood our formative years. Um, and it literally is like the foundation basis for who we are as people. And I think I think a lot of the questions that adult writers uh, are posing and exploring in their work actually have their basis in childhood. So, you know, when do you start to think about what does it mean to love and who am I and what is my identity and how do I navigate the world? Those are all questions that you start thinking about in childhood and just mm-hmm. get a little more more and more complex as you, as you grow older. Um, so I think, you know, you can't, basically your childhood bleeds into everything you are as an adult, <laughs> which as a mother now is kind of terrifying it, to me. It is so terrifying. And I should say responsibility. <laughs> and I think our generation is slightly... I think we grow up with more conversation around sort of thinking about what kind of parent you want to be and what does it mean to be a parent. I think our parents are more just trying to get through the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I'm not so worried about our, um, at least there wasn't so much public conversation mm-hmm. or judgment even yes. about parenting as there is today. So it is, it does feel different to be a parent today than it did, you know, for our parents. Um, yes, I will read every self-help book. There is <laughs> parenting like every, every day. What I love about your books is that they are real. I love realistic fiction. Um, and I will say for me, they are pretty intense and I'm a, an adult. And so they hit on some really tough subjects. As an author, does that take a lot out of you when you're writing? How do you kind of go through that process? Well, I think I'm sure you've heard authors describe their books as like their babies. And I think just um, just as it is with children, you know, they are their own beast and you have a unique relationship with each one. So it, there's two factors, I'd say, or two variables. One is um, the what kind of book you're writing and what the content is and your relationship with that book. Um and so, so for example, my first book, Skunk Girl, it, it essentially, it, it, it deals with some serious issues, but it's essentially like a kind of a sweet, happy book. Whereas um, in that thing we call heart, you know, part of it is her exploring her family's um, past when, when it has to do with partition, the violent partition of India in 1947. So there's, you know, some, some family trauma there. Um, so that was very intense. So there, it, it, you know, it depends on what kind of book it is and, and what's in the book and what you're exploring in that book. And then that's one thing. And the other factor is just writing in, its, in and of itself is, you know, <laughs> something, an act that is full of despair <laughs> and <laughs> angst. And, um, you know, it's really... It, you you have very high lofty goals for yourself as a writer and you don't always meet them and you often feel frustrated and think this you know this isn't working and Mm -hmm. can I even make this work and what am I doing I mean every day um it's just writerly despair is just part of the process so no matter even if you're writing the happiest book in the world you're going to experience some of that despair Um, and then if you're writing you know book that is exploring topics that are difficult or traumatic or for some reason do you personally are bringing up your own issues, then it's going to be an even more intense experience. Um, One thing that I didn't ask in here, but I just know this from your bio and um, talking to you, you didn't start out as um, a writer. Did you like Mm -hmm. deep down know I always want to be a writer? I I always loved writing and was always interested in it. I I started writing when I was quite young. 
And I, my parents are not. They were supportive of my writing as a pastime, but they there was no concept of writing as a career. And they're both doctors, and you know the idea was you have to get a professional degree mm-hmm. um, and have like a quote unquote real career. <laughs> yes. And you know if you enjoy writing, it's something you can do in your free mm-hmm. time. Um, so I didn't want to become a doctor, so I became a lawyer. <laughs> and and when I started practicing law. I realized, because I, I love school, so mm-hmm. law school, actually, I'm like, oh, I'm learning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I went to NYU, so I was living in New York for the first time, um, so that was great. But then when I started practicing law is when I realized, oh, you know, I, I don't want to do this as a career, and um, what is it that I do want to do? And, uh, and that's when I returned. I thought, well, I've always wanted to write. And then I didn't, you know, I also didn't grow up in a family that had, at least in America, had any artist or people mm-hmm. people doing artistic things as a career. So I I discovered there's these things called MFA programs and that some of them are fully funded um, because I don't advise anyone going into debt to get an MFA <laughs> in writing. Um, and then I started taking night classes um, like at NYU and the new school. They, had, they would have night classes in writing, so writing workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started writing again and I did that for a few years and and worked on a portfolio to apply to MFA programs, um, and then and then I went to the Iowa Writers Workshop, and I've been writing ever since then. Tell me about the shell shock from going from New York, and you said you went to Iowa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, so I mean, it was obviously it's a it's it's a dra- dramatic change. I was I grew up in a small town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that had a coldish winter, so it wasn't that shocking. I, I, at least I had lived in that sort of environment. Mm-hmm. It was, I had never lived in the Midwest, though, and so, um, you know, the Catskill, Catskill is in a valley surrounded by the Catskill Mountains, and Iowa is very flat. Um, and so I, it was my first experience of seeing the Midwestern sky, mm-hmm. which just, like, goes on forever. It's this it's this lovely little literary town, like, in the middle of <laughs> <Iowa>. <laughs> Sounds like a dream. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I know as parents that we aren't supposed to have a favorite, <laughs> but is there a book or a character that is just really near and dear to your heart? So in terms of write, a character that I loved writing was Farah and that thing we call mm-hmm. a heart because um, she's just so, you know, spunky. And in terms of re- sort of relationship and dynamic between characters, I loved writing the the three best friends in Mariam Sharma Hits mm-hmm. the Road, just to write sort of the dynamic between uh, three close friends was really enjoyable. That book, I was like crying and then laughing, like going back and forth because it actually was it was that that you did a great job showing that friendship and just not that I was hoping for a specific answer, but I really enjoy getting to know. <laughs> so I've heard frequently that books need to be windows, mirrors and doors for readers. In the past five years, there's been a movement for more diverse books. In your opinion, where do you think the industry is now and where do you think there's room for improvement? Well, you know, if you look at, if you compare it to even 10 years ago, um, there's so many more authors of color being published. And if you look at books with narrators who are narrators of color, most of those, a lot more of those are being published by authors of color. So we've made a lot of progress. I think one place where it's you know, there's still a lot of progress to be made is the makeup of the publishing industry itself. Because if you look at the gatekeepers, the editors, et cetera, they're still overwhelmingly, I think the last 
Lee and Lowe study was like more than 85% white. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and including the marketing teams, you know, I've met with marketing, published marketing teams where they're all white mm-hmm. and they're, and they're, and they're tasked with marketing these, you know, diverse books. So I think once the publishing industry itself also reflects the diversity um, of, of the readership, then mm-hmm. you know, it, it'll be much better for everybody. But MMPS is so diverse. I think people are actually really surprised to hear how diverse Nashville is and talking to book vendors and publishers, asking for even things in native languages and, you know, things like that. It's has been more difficult than I would have anticipated it to be. However, I will say on the positive side, it's been really great um, to read YA right now because I think it's it is really exciting and more realistic than it has ever been. Uh, Sheba and I were talking before. Um, I said, I hate to admit it, but when I was in high school, I was reading like all the Sweet Valley High books <laughs> and um, all of that. And I think now teenagers have access to more relevant, realistic material. So it's Teentober. <laughs> Happy Teentober. Happy Teentober, <laughs> yes. Um, formerly Teen Read Week. What advice do you have for educators or parents that say, my child or my students don't like to read? Humans are hardwired for story. (laughs) The trick is there's a story. You have to find the story that's going to appeal to that particular reader. There's a story out there for everybody. It's just a matter of connecting them to that story. And not only connecting them, but also giving them sort of the time and space to be able to read that story, whether it's with somebody else or on their own um being willing to for different genres so maybe you know they might not like reading a long novel but they'll love fall in love with a graphic novel Mm -hmm. so i think it's a matter of figuring out what kind of narrative would appeal to them and which also requires somebody taking the time to do (laughs) that (laughs) um i just wrote down humans are hardwired for stories because when i talk with teachers or in librarians frequently about the power of like a read aloud, just even if they're in middle school or high school, people love being read to. I mean, I love audiobooks mm-hmm. because someone's telling me an amazing story. So I love, I, I love that. I still remember, I think it was third grade, an hour teacher for like 10 minutes, 15 minutes every day would read as part of um, Roald Dahl's The Witches mm-hmm. until she finished it. And it's such a poignant memory for me, all of us sitting there and listening just like at the edge of our seats. Um, so I think, you know, I think it's hard because I think teachers are so overworked and they have to cram so much into their schedule. But um, I think that would be wonderful if they're able to, to do like read. read that, that is like, <laughs> So that is one of my favorite favorite read-alouds I ever did when I was teaching fifth grade. Yes, I loved it. And I think I read that they're making, like, they're remaking the movie. I don't know if you ever saw the original one. I didn't see the movie. It was pretty scary. I remember being, like, traumatized. (laughs) (laughs) But I did love the book. So is there any upcoming books that you can tell us about? Yeah, I'm working on my (laughs) deadlines coming up. Well, thank you for taking the time (laughs) to meet with us. Yeah, um, I'm working. So I have an elevator pitch for this book, which I normally don't have. Normally it takes me like a a whole paragraph to describe (laughs) what my book is about. But um, this book is a a South Asian American Gilmore Girl set in New Delhi. 
um, against the backdrop of Me Too, the Me Too India movement happening. Oh my gosh, that sounds <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's um, it's been really intense and really fun to write. Did you start um, writing it when you were in? Yeah, I was mm-hmm. in New Delhi all of 2018, and that's when I started writing. The book. Yeah, I think one of the general questions this book poses is, um, you know, what does a a young heterosexual you know, she's 18, the narrator. You know, what does a young straight woman do in this world to very badly behaved men? Yeah. <laughs> How do you navigate that? Um, so uh, I think you, you've read my work. So I love mm-hmm. books that make you laugh and also make you cry. Yes, <laughs> so I talked about doing it earlier. another one of those. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you ever thought, now that you have young kids, have you ever thought, I want to do like a more like middle grade or you're like, I think I'll stick with the YA. I really enjoy reading uh, books written for younger audiences, like younger than YA. But personally, I think most of the issues and questions I want to grapple with mm-hmm. are, are more YA. And also, you know, I do, um, I have plans to write a historical fiction novel um, that's about an, an, for adults, that's about a Muslim queen who ruled over 13th century oh. India. So, um, so young adults and adults mm-hmm. is my, yeah. We're to our last question. Mm-hmm. So this podcast is called Don't Judge a Book by Its Cover, a podcast for future-ready librarians. But we also know it's really hard work. What advice do you have for school librarians, especially those that want to change your perception of librarians? Well, I think just coming back to what I mentioned before, I, I feel like librarians in some ways also um, have a have to have a little bit of like therapist in them <laughs> or like this intuitiveness because figuring out what kind of book will appeal to you or what kind of book a child might need requires, you know, having a lot of perception. So I think people need to recognize how vital librarians are just even to the well-being mm-hmm. of children and to the health of a school. Like a school that doesn't have robust libraries, the children are not going to be as happy as a school that has these very like active, engaged mm-hmm. librarians. And I, I think, you know, I think the challenge also... With you is I, I, there's so much technology now, and I think a lot of that technology is trying to promote reading. I know there's like literacy apps, and I think navigating that and understanding what works and what doesn't, and also understanding. I, I have a friend who started a library um, in a low, very low income neighborhood in New Delhi. And she was saying that when she's trying to get funding, a lot of these people who uh, give funding, like various foundations, were like, well, is there an app? Is there an app? Because libraries require um, volunteers, a lot of people to staff them, actual books, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, a, a rent to pay, you know, a bathroom to yes. fix if it gets broken. And a lot of foundations don't want to, like, would prefer to just invest in some, an app that you can give a bunch of kids and, oh, here, you've learned the alphabet. Mm-hmm. And um, this woman who found the library was explaining you know, you can't, an app can only do so much because reading comprehension and them understanding the story, that initially comes from somebody reading it with them and talking to them about it. Um, so I don't think technology could ever replace someone like a librarian. Thank, thank you. <laughs> Shiva said it, so therefore <laughs> everything is no. I, I, um, com- I completely agree what you said about the health of the school and I think that we can't forget about technology obviously I love technology I use it frequently but there has to be a balance and there's something to be said about holding a book that's still amazing uh Scholastic did a study of students and all the younger students said they still prefer to read a book and holding it and 
we can't yeah. we can't lose so that. yeah it's finding the challenge for you is finding that balance between technology and human engagement because i do think there is a push towards technology that is sometimes positive and sometimes mm-hmm. not Well, Sheba, thank you so much. This was fantastic and nice way to start the day. And for everybody listening, I will have links to Sheba's contact information, her Twitter, and also links to her books as well. If you have um, any questions, feel free to reach out. And as always, if you like what you hear, please be sure to uh, rate this podcast. Let us know what you think. And most importantly, tell a friend. So Sheba, thank you so much. Thank you. Happy Teentober. (laughs)